0: Welcome to the Wise Crone Cottage Podcast with storyteller Kathy Shempock. Here we'll meet the crone and uncover her wisdom as found in fairy tales, folk tales, and myths. For it is true that stories, as it is with many people, become better as they grow older. Know that no matter how difficult your journey has been through the magical forest, the wise crone always opens her door to you.
1: In the wake of insurgents overtaking the U.S. Capitol in pursuit of a big lie, this episode explores the truth that is found in stories. I'll start by reading a Spanish tale entitled Falsehood and Truth. Next, we'll look at those folktales that provide a context to current events. Finally, I'll tell you a more positive counterpoint to the first tale. It's the Yiddish folktale of truth and story. A great while ago, when the world was full of wonders. Sometimes life seems stranger than fiction. Sometimes the unimaginable happens. Such is stuff of January 6, 2021, when a riotous mob stormed the White House in an attempt to stop the certification of the Electoral College vote. It seems more like a B-movie script than reality for this mob of crazies was incited by the then-President of the United States. But the story has another twist. These outliers acted because of a string of lies told by the leader of the free world and stoked by hate groups and conspiracy theorists who believed alien lizard folks controlled our government. I'm going to pause for just a moment now so the listener can process all of that. It's enough to take even a storyteller's breath away. Truth, as you will see, is stranger than fiction. This is the story of lies and disinformation. But it's not the first time it's been told. We've seen it throughout history. It's caused wars and insurrection for centuries. Not surprisingly, history has found its way into folktales. And so I'm going to begin the podcast by reading a Spanish tale compiled and written by Edvard René de Labouillet, a French jurist, politician, author, and anti-slavery activist. The title of the story is Falsehood and Truth. It is found in his book, The Last Fairy Tales, published in the year 1884. Folklorist Jack Sipes writes, The tellers and authors of fairy tales are seekers of truth, and the quality of their tales is connected to their truth value. The truth found in Laboulaye's tale is both prophetic and profound.
0: But now, a story. Not in my time, not in your time, but in the wise crone's time.
1: Falsehood and Truth, an old Spanish fable. In olden times, falsehood and truth agreed to live together like a pair of friends. Truth was a good soul, simple, timid, and confiding. Falsehood was plausible, brilliant, and dashing. One commanded, and the other always obeyed. As may be supposed, Everything went on smoothly in such a delightful partnership. One day, falsehood suggested to Truth that it would be well to plant a tree that would give them blossoms in spring, shade in summer, and fruit in autumn. Truth was pleased with the plan, and the tree was set out directly. No sooner had it begun to grow than falsehood said to Truth, "'Sister!' Let us each choose a share of the tree. Possessions held too closely in common breed strife. Short accounts make long friends. There are the roots, for example. It is they that support and nourish it. They are sheltered from the wind and the weather. Why do you not take them? To oblige you, I will content myself for my part with the branches that grow in the open air at the mercy of birds, beasts, and men, wind, heat, and frost. There is nothing that we would not do for those we love. Truth, abashed by such goodness, thanked her comrade and burrowed underground to the great joy of falsehood, who found himself alone among mankind and able to reign at his ease. The tree shot up fast. Its great boughs spread shade and coolness far and wide. It soon brought forth blossoms fairer than the rose. Men and women hastened from all sides to admire the marvel. Perched upon the topmost branch, falsehood harangued them and soon charmed them with his honeyed words. He taught them that society is nothing but falsehood. AND THAT MEN WOULD BE READY TO TEAR EACH OTHER TO PIECES IF THEY ALWAYS SPOKE THE TRUTH. THERE ARE THREE WAYS TO SUCCEED HERE BELOW, ADDED HE, BY SIMPLE FALSEHOOD, AS WHEN THE VASSAL SAYS TO HIS LORD, I RESPECT YOU AND LOVE YOU, BY DOUBLE FALSEHOOD, AS WHEN HE EXCLAIMS, MAY THE THUNDERBOLTS OF HEAVEN FALL ON ME IF I AM NOT YOUR MOST FAITHFUL SERVANT and by triple falsehoods, as when he repeats, My goods, my arm, and my life are all my lords, and then deserts his master at the moment of danger. The good apostle gave these lessons in so airy a manner, and illustrated them by such fine examples, that all who heard him were intoxicated with his words. They jeered at those who did not applaud, and even began to doubt themselves. For a hundred leagues around, nothing was talked of but falsehood and his wisdom. It was proposed to make him king. As to good truth, who lay crouching in her den, no one gave her a thought. She might die forgotten. Abandoned as she was by all, she was forced to live on whatever she could find underground. And while falsehood was enthroned among verdure and flowers— the poor mole gnawed the bitter roots of the tree she had planted. She gnawed them so deep that one day, when falsehood more eloquent than usual was addressing an innumerable multitude, the wind rose slightly and suddenly blew down the tree that no longer had any roots to support it. The branches in their fall crushed all who were beneath them, Falsehood escaped with an injured eye and a broken leg, which left him lame and squinting, which was coming off cheaply. Truth, suddenly restored to light, rose from the ground with disheveled hair and a stern countenance, and began harshly to rebuke those about her for their weakness and credulity. No sooner had he heard her voice than Falsehood cried, Behold the author of our ills, the one who has destroyed us, death to her! upon which the people, armed with sticks and stones, gave chase to the unhappy woman and thrust her again into the hole, more dead than alive. Having done this, they quickly sealed it with a large stone that truth might never more arise from her tomb. However, she still had a few friends, for during the night an unknown hand traced the following epitaph upon her stone. Here lies truth, slain not by disease, but by the cruel world, that naught might reign in it but falsehood and disloyalty. It is falsehood's smallest fault not to suffer contradiction. The friend of truth was hunted down and hung as soon as found. Dead men only never grumble. To be better assured of his victory— Falsehood built him a palace over the sepulchre of truth. But it is said that sometimes she turns in her grave, and thereupon the palace crumbles like a house of cards, and buries beneath its ruins all who dwell therein, both innocent and guilty. But men have something else to do than mourn their dead. They fall heirs to their inheritance." The people, those eternal dupes, each time rebuild the palace with greater splendor than before, and falsehood, lame and squinting, reigns there to this very day. This story does take my breath away, and it's hard for me to remember when I'm reading it that it was written in 1884, Laboulaye Loved America and studied our Constitution, he had the idea for the Statue of Liberty. He believed the French should present a statue representing liberty as a gift to the United States. It was a symbol for the very ideas then suppressed in his country by Napoleon III. But the story could have easily been written about Adolf Hitler or any other number of dictators throughout the years. And it fits perfectly the events of January 6th, when five people died and 140 were injured. Jack Zipes, in the article Speaking the Truth with Folk and Fairy Tales, discusses the role that stories have in recording history. While Laboulaye was powerless to bring forth the social change that he desired, he was able to share his opposition through his writing. Laboulaye certainly would have wept if he had seen a Confederate flag flying in our capital, as would have Lincoln, and as did so many of us who watched the live feed that day. As Winston Churchill wrote, Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Let's take a look at these stories from the past to see what we might still learn from them today. In Laboulaye's story, the character of falsehood is a smooth talker. He is described as plausible, brilliant, and dashing. He deceives the character of truth. She, too, is duped by falsehood, believing him to be good. She burrows underground, and in doing so is silenced. But did no one hear? Did no one miss truth? The story says that the tree shot up fast and put forth blossoms fairer than the rose. Men and women gathered about to admire the marvel. Falsehood began to teach the people that society is nothing but lies. He showed them the benefits of speaking and living a lie. In our country, falsehood became the role model for vile, crude, and disgusting behavior. If the sky was blue, he would say it was green. He showed us that if someone says something long enough, no matter how ridiculous or easily verifiable, it will be believed, by some, anyway. In fact, our falsehood told over 30,500 lies during his four-year tenure, per the Washington Post fact-checker. The story says that all who heard him were intoxicated with his words. They jeered at those who did not applaud and even began to doubt themselves. Truth, you see, might have died forgotten had it not been for that pesky mole that gnawed through the tree's roots. The winds of change finally blew the tree over. Truth suddenly restored to light, rose from the ground with disheveled hair and a stern countenance and began harshly to rebuke those about her for their weakness and credulity. But not-so-fast truth. This is a warning tale, after all. Falsehood quickly blames everything on truth. The election was rigged, you might hear him saying. There is fraud everywhere. Yet none existed. Not a single fact. Not a single event no evidence at all. His followers searched over and over again. Still, there was no fraud to be found. But when falsehood said the sky was green, they blindly followed along. Behold the author of all our ills, the one who has destroyed us, death to her, he said, death to truth, that is. The story foretells the events of January sixth. for the people, now armed with sticks and stones, gave chase to the unhappy woman, gave chase to truth, and thrust her again into the hole, more dead than alive. Having done this, they quickly sealed it with a large stone, that truth might never more arise from her tomb. For when our falsehood leader began to weaponize misinformation about the results of a free and fair election to achieve his political goals, his assertion ended in the capital siege. The riotous mob who brought with them stun guns, firearms, zip ties, and pipe bombs had long ago sealed truth in a tomb. How did this happen? How can people be so easily and willingly duped? For just a moment. Let's look at some other folk and fairy tales that have dealt with the issue of truth and honesty. After that, we'll go back to Lavallée's story. These are folk tales from my European ancestry, but I'm sure if you look, you'll find similar tales found throughout the world. In The Emperor's New Clothes, Hans Christian Andersen tells the story of a vain ruler hoodwinked by swindlers who claimed to make clothes from fabric invisible to anyone unfit for his job or hopelessly stupid. All of the king's ministers and officials went to look at the fabric, although they saw nothing. They were afraid to speak the truth, for fear they would be seen as unfit for their office. Ultimately, the emperor himself parades before the people in only his underwear. All the emperor's cronies continue to flatter him, "'and carry his invisible train. "'Goodness! "'How splendid His Majesty looks in the new clothes! "'What a perfect fit!' they all exclaimed. "'What a cut! "'What colors! "'What sumptuous robes!' "'They spread the lies with their words and actions. "'The only one who speaks out is the innocent child. "'But the Emperor has nothing on at all!' "'A little child declared. "'Clearly it's the archetype of truth,' coming up from the ground. Maria Tatar writes that it takes an innocent child to divine the truth that His Majesty is unable to discern is a reminder of the stultifying effects of social proprieties and the way in which culture and civilization produce duplicity and hypocrisy. We might see these officials in the eight U.S. Senators and 139 House members who voted against the certification of the election results. The election was stolen, they cried, but they might as well have said, The fabric is lovely, I see it so clearly, for they knew there was no fraud at all. They merely feared to be viewed as unfit for their office or categorized as stupid by an angry mob. "'Yes, he isn't wearing anything at all,' the people shouted at last. And perhaps the officials, and even the emperor himself, felt a bit uncomfortable. For it seems that everyone was right. But as the story ends, the emperor thought, "'I must go through with it now, parade and all.' And he drew himself up all the more proudly, while his chamberlains walked after him, carrying a train that wasn't there." The sky you see to them is still green after all. Another way people are entrapped by lies is found in the story The Pied Piper of Hamelin. This story is believed to be based on an actual historical event occurring perhaps in 1284 during the time of the Black Plague. There are multiple variants, but the Grimm Brothers version is perhaps the best known the town of Hamlin is infested by rats. A charismatic man came to town, claiming to be able to rid it of this vermin. He's the only one who could, you see. As the story says, the citizen struck a deal, promising him a certain price. The rat catcher then took a small fife from his pocket and began to blow on it. Rats and mice immediately came from every house and gathered around him. When he thought he had them all, he led them to the river Visor, where he pulled up his clothes and walked into the water. The animals all followed him, fell in, and drowned. But sadly, the citizens lied and refused to pay the piper his due. The pied piper returned in anger to play for the town's children, He sounded his fife, the story says, in the streets, but this time it wasn't rats and mice that came to him, but rather children, a great number of boys and girls from their fourth year on. Among them was the mayor's grown daughter. The swarm followed him and led them into a mountain where he disappeared with them. What can be learned from this story? Certainly, it's a tale that brings terror to parents worried about the safety of their children. But this tale can equally be seen as how easy it is for people to follow a charismatic leader, those who were ensnared by the lies of others, the Germans who followed Hitler, the followers of Jim Jones. When a skilled piper appears, it's easy for some to follow blindly into another world. But this didn't start with the piper. It began long before with the deception of the citizens, for you see, lies have consequences. Now we have two explanations for an angry mob found in these tales. One sees the lies continuing in the words and actions of complicit sycophants. The others show how easily cult followers can be led, even if it means they walk off the cliff or into the river of destruction. Now let's see how the story of falsehood and truth ends. Truth is now entombed, but she still has some friends. One writes an epitaph upon her gravestone. The words cry out that truth was slain by a world at the reign of falsehood and disloyalty. Or as T.S. Eliot might proclaim, this is how democracy ends, not with a bang but a whimper. Falsehood tweets out to his angry followers. He can't suffer any contradiction. The friend of truth was hunted down and hung from a tree. Just as his followers tried to kill the votes of people of color in this country, the votes that legitimately lost falsehood the election. Sadly, falsehood still has a palace over the sepulcher of truth. Truth sometimes turns in her grave, and when she does, the palace over her crumbles from all the lies, just like a house of cards. It buries beneath and ruins all who dwells therein, both innocent and guilty. It's the natural consequence of lies, the consequence of cults, war, and authoritarianism. Harm comes to both the innocent and the guilty. Laboulaye ends the story on a cautionary note, and one we should remember. Men fall heirs to their inheritance. The people, those eternal dupes, each time we build the palace, with greater splendor than before and falsehood, lame and squinting, reigns therein to this very day. It's a stern reminder that it takes more than a single election to defeat falsehood. You may be wondering how
0: I know these old stories, but that is a story for another day. The moral of the story is...
1: Fortunately, Laboulaye doesn't have the last word. There's one final folktale for us to review, and I'd like to tell this story to you now. Its title is Truth. End story. Long ago, when people lived from the land and rarely ever ventured far away from home, there were only a few brave enough to do so. One was the peddler who made his living sharing his wares with others. There was the musician, sometimes the juggler. And there were, at least, two others. One was a man, tall and lanky, who made his way into the town square with his chest jutted out, walking confidently. And when he got to the center, he began to speak loudly, sharing his wisdom with other people. But instead of listening, they turned and left. The women covered the eyes of the young children, scurried into their houses, slammed the door and the windows, and locked them all shut. The old men walked straight up to the man and looked him up and down and up and down and frowned and turned away. The young girls saw him only out of the corner of their eye and giggled to themselves as they watched him. The only ones who were left were the young boys who taunted him, throwing rotten tomatoes and vegetables at him. And in the worst case, they would let their dogs loose to chase him out of town. Well, on this day, it was the saddest of days, for the man had just been chased out of town. Out of breath, he ran and ran until he got to the river and thought he was finally safe. And then he laid down on the cool grass, stretching his long arms and legs and looking up as the clouds floated by. A tear fell from the corner of his eyes. Oh, me, he said, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? I have knowledge. I have information to help the people, but they won't listen to me. How, how can I get their attention? May, maybe my time is past. Maybe I'm just too old. Maybe I need to give up. Well, it wasn't long before he heard cheering in the town he just left, and He was so curious that he decided to carefully make his way back, jumping from tree to tree and peeking out around to see what he could see. And what he saw was amazing to him. For in the center of the town square was a beautiful older woman. She had long, flowing white hair in beautiful curls and her clothes looked as if it had come from places that he had never seen before, embroidered with unusual patterns and designs and fabrics that were rich velvets, silks from faraway lands. He couldn't imagine how she got all that. And on her head was a a big hat with a red plume, But when she came to town, everyone left their houses. In front of her were the children sitting, waiting patiently. And then there were the mothers and the older children and the older citizens sitting on chairs. Behind them were the men. All were in rapt attention. You could hear a pin drop. And When she began to speak, he could see that there were times where the people were laughing and other times they were crying. There were smiles. Some of them even got up to dance. It seemed like maybe they were singing. And when she got through, they all jumped to their feet and applauded her. And he could see that they laid out a Large banquet in her honor. Oh, me. Oh, me. Some people have all the luck, he said. Look at her. She comes and they all come out, and me. Oh, They they sick the dogs on me. Uh, 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 I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to give up. And he slid down the base of the tree, hugged his knees, curled up into a ball and began to sob time passed and he heard some rustling and looked up and can you believe it there in front of him was that beautiful woman can i help you she said i heard you crying I could tell. I know what they did to you today. I am so sorry. Can I help you at all? Oh, no, sister. No, sister, you can't help me. They love you, but I, I have things. I could make their lives better, but they won't listen to me. I don't know how to get their attention. Uh, Maybe you're getting too much attention. I don't know what you mean, he said. Well, I have an idea. If you be willing to listen. I guess so. I, I'm about to give up, so tell me whatever you think might help. Well... Have you ever thought about putting on some clothes before you come to town? No, no. Why would I do that? It's in my name. My name is Truth. Ah, ah, I see, she said. Well, let me introduce myself to you. My name is Story. Huh. Well, it, it is nice to meet you, Story. Uh, I am happy to meet you, but I'm Truth, and I come to town, and I stand in the center square, and I just tell it like it is. Here I am, right in front of you. Warts and all, it's me. Mm, yes, but you know, sometimes people don't want to see naked truth. What if, as an experiment, you try on some clothes just once? Just just try? <sighs> okay. And all of a sudden, she pulled out of a sack all manner of beautiful clothes for truth. She had lovely velvet trousers and a beautiful silk shirt with long flowing sleeves and a multicolored vest. And on his feet, he wore purple pointed shoes. And then he had a tie around his neck and a shiny belt. And on the top of his head was a hat similar to hers that had a lovely purple plume on top. And truth to be told, Truth looked mighty fine, all dressed up. Well, they decided to try it out just once. So the two of them together went to the next town. And when everyone saw that Story was there, oh, they all came out of their houses and they gathered around her with happy anticipation. And she began speaking. And after a while, she looked over at Truth and paused. And Truth began to fill in. And then story continued a little while longer. And then Truth shared some more. And they continued like that until the end. And when they finished, can you guess what happened? All of the people in the audience stood on their feet and cheered. And a big banquet was laid out in their honor. And Truth was finally able to fill his empty belly. Well, it went so well, they decided to continue like this. And so, they went from village to village together. And after a while, when Truth would begin speaking, Story could finish his sentence. And when Story would begin speaking, Truth could finish her sentence, so that, Truth and story and story and truth from that very day until today have never, ever been apart. In this Yiddish folktale, the moral is that the old stories contain truth. This isn't about factual truth, but about the virtue of truth. Truth is transcendent. It contains universal principles. We hold these truths to be self-evident, our Founding Fathers said. This includes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Truths are universal. They seek to bring everyone to a single moral compass, that is, a single reality or worldview. This is not about what facts or theories are true, but about inalienable rights. The storyteller knows that people learn truth best when it is shared in a way that brings people together. It's not about presenting facts and figures. It's not about sharing theories. We live in a time when even the most basic truths and facts are being controverted to achieve power and fame. So arguing about which facts are true does little to stop the lies, because if you live in an alternate reality, there are always alternate facts. Stories like the ones we have discussed in this podcast contain truth in a way that is not preachy or confrontational. It is the path of metaphor and allegory. It is the way that wisdom was shared orally for thousands of years. We see truth in the stories of Moses, the parables of Jesus, the teachings of Buddha, Muhammad, and all the words of scholars, prophets, and philosophers throughout the ages. Jack Zipes writes, I believe we should try to make folk and fairy tales of the past usable history and to study them in light of their relevant socio-political context and truth value. If we think about folk and fairy tales of the past with justice and judgment in mind, there is a strong possibility that we might discover truths that have a bearing on our lives in the present and in the future. The story of falsehood and truth gives us a dire warning of the consequences facing us when lies are rampant. But the folktale of truth and story provides us hope that perhaps there is still a way to bring people to a common reality, seeing yet again the truths that are still self-evident, even in the midst of 30,500 lies. It's time to remember the stories.
0: The wise crone knows it's time for you to leave. Your journey home takes you back through the forest. It may at times be difficult, but no fear. Her final words to you are, Remember to stay on the path. Do not leave the path no matter what you see or experience. And so it was, and so it is. Thank you for listening. We'll meet again the fourth Sunday of each month. This podcast has been sponsored by Heart Symbol Publishing, where you'll find a wide variety of guided imagery downloads to achieve your goals and enhance your life.
1: This is the storyteller, Kathy Schimpak. This podcast is narrated by Linda Bennett. Music is The Snow Queen by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetent.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Stories by the brother Grimm are in the public domain.